great to have him delivering to us the word from uh, the life and legacy of a man who's walked with Christ for these many years. Help me welcome my dad, Keith David. Stephen took piano lessons. And we learned a lot of lessons. Again, I say I'm grateful for the opportunity of being in Colonia Baptist Church. We pray for you, as I tell you every time, but we pray for you every day. We pray for you every day because of what we believe that God is specially doing here. And uh, I've been in, we've been in ministry, as Stephen said, for 52 years. 1958, we came to Norfolk, Virginia, never intending to stay a half century plus. But it's been the grace of God and the graciousness of God working with young men and women from all parts of the world and all ranks of the military. So it's been a great joy. And remembering all those days of helping Stephen play that I... uh, (laughs) But I suppose one of the great reasons that we pray for this place is because we envision young people developing as we've seen military people developing. I'm glad the devil doesn't have all the talent. That's a great thrill to me. So I'm glad to be here tonight. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 10. Big doors swing on little hinges. And here in a moment of history, Acts, chapter 10, God did one of the most dramatic things that's happened in history. It's easy to read Acts, chapters 10 and 11, and not realize the great transition that was taking place in these moments 2,000 years ago. You follow along as I read Acts chapter 10, verse 1. And there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, and who gave alms, much alms, to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel coming, of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and devout soldiers, and of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto him, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up in the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. He became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And saw heaven open, and a certain vessel descending unto him, and as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and fowls of the air. And, And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. 
And the voice spake unto him again a second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, three times. The vessel was received up into heaven again. Now while Peter doubted on himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, three men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. Well, Peter thought in the vision, the spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. I say this is a critical moment in the history of the church. The church was in transition, though most of the people who were believers did not understand that great transition. And the question that Luke is going to answer, Theophilus, in this chapter and chapter 11 is, who is qualified to join the church? Or who is qualified to be a first-class believer? Because that wasn't really clear in the minds of the people. So in Acts chapter 10 and 11 are recorded a divinely planned transition that bridged the Old Testament to the New Testament. In fact, have you ever thought of beginning reading in the New Testament and you end with the Gospel of John and if the book of Acts weren't there, you'd skip over to the book of Romans. You might ask yourself, what's the connection between the Gospels and the book of Romans? And so God inspired a Gentile physician, Dr. Luke, to bridge the gap for us that we could understand in these 28 chapters how the God was changing the program from a Jewish-centered ministry to an all-encompassing world evangelistic outstripe. Jesus had said in John chapter 10, I have other sheep which are not in the fold. The Lord knew there would be a moment in history when the church would move beyond the realms of Judaism, but it took a special occasion to accomplish that. And so we have before us, in these really 66 verses, Acts chapter 10 and the first 18 verses of chapter 11, the greatest, as some have called it, the greatest step in faith in the history of the church. Now I know it's easy to read over chapter 10 and 11 and miss the great significance of that. And so for nothing else, may I just impress this upon you as you're reading these 28 chapters that as you come to this occasion in the history of the church, you, you might understand this transition. You know, Webster said a transition is a change from to something different. Nathan did that several times. A transition in music. All of us go through transitions. We just went through a transition this weekend. A wedding. But all of us pass through different transitions. America's passing through a transition. The economics have changed many family relationships. And so transitions are taking place across our country. But the book of Acts is a narrative. A narrative of transition. Because it's a narrative, it's important that we understand that it's not the norm. In other words, 
Don't build a doctrine on a narrative. You know, the God of salvation is the God of history. And in these 28 chapters, God is giving us a picture not of the norm of the theological discounts. In fact, the book of Acts and Dr. Luke do not explain the great doctrines of the scriptures, the church, the mystery of sanctification, Christ in you, the hope of glory, justification, and on. on. That truth was left to Pauline theology, to, to Paul's epistles. But might I tell you that across our country there's been a lot of confusion because people are building doctrines on the book of Acts, which is a narrative. It's not norm. It's God explaining to us the transition that was taking place from an Old Testament economy to a New Testament economy, from the cross and resurrection in the New Testament, the dispensation of grace, uh, to a change from the ceremonial law in the Old Testament and the offering of blood sacrifices. We're not meeting on the Sabbath. We're meeting on the Lord's Day, Sunday. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are on this side of the grave. And so as you read through the book of Acts, they're discovering the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between law and grace. And so it's wonderful how Dr. Luke unfolds these wonderful truths as we celebrate on the Lord's Day the triumph of the cross. We meet on the Lord's Day in celebration of the triumph of Jesus Christ, that he is alive. But not only that, he's coming again. And so in this transitional period, the Holy Spirit is teaching people the difference between the Sabbath and Sunday, between the law and grace. And here is the great lesson that Peter was going to explain to the church, which was baffled because now we're eight years from Pentecost. Eight long years from chapter two of the book of Acts to chapter 10. And it's not to slight the Jews, they had a beginning at Abraham, but the church had a beginning at Pentecost. The Jews have a future, it's a promised land. The church has a future. The rapture is going to catch us away to glory to our father's house. And so it's important that we understand that that the Old Testament has a track and Israel has a future, a glorious future in the messianic reign of Jesus Christ when we'll rule and reign with him a thousand years. Your pastor's been talking about that for weeks because I listened to his program. But it's a great theme and a blessed hope. And so... The problem we face in Acts chapter 10 is the prejudice of the Jews and the tradition of the Jews that caused them to think that God loved them better than the Gentiles. Oh no, God has never loved the Jew better than he loved the Gentiles. God had a program for the Jews and he has a program for the church of Jesus Christ. And as Paul viewed the world in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he saw the world with only three kinds of people. Acts 10, he says, the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. The church of God is made up of 
Jew and Gentile. There's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, the bond and free, the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Why? We're all one in Jesus Christ today. So God is doing something new today, but that was not easy for them to understand. Read through the book of Hebrews and you'll discover the struggle they had of going back to the temple and offering blood sacrifices and so on. So really pride was a difficult hurdle for the Jews in that day. Peter begins his sermon in verse 34 and he says, I, I understand that God is no respecter of persons, but that truth has been burning into the heart of Peter for four days as he leaves Joppa and he comes to Caesarea. So in these chapters, God's going to teach us a couple things. Number one, how do Gentiles receive salvation? That is, is Judaism the door to the church? Is circumcision necessary? Are there certain rites that you go through to enter into the church of Jesus Christ? Do you have to be circumcised? Do you have to first become a proselyte? How does a Gentile join the church? We today, 2,000 years removed from this circumstance, it's difficult to enter into that situation, but that was a big question in that day. The second question that that Luke is going to answer is, as I've already said, how does a Gentile join the church? As Roy Lawrence said, this was a momentous decision that marked a milestone in the history of the church was neither an ecclesiastical suburb of Judaism nor a religious adaptation of Grecian philosophy. The church is a secret made known by God as his appointed time. So let's look at the text for just a moment. And I say a moment, I'll watch the clock, you watch the Bible. (laughs) Acts chapter 10, verse 1. And there was a certain man of Caesarea. Caesarea was the most Gentile city in Israel. You have to understand that to understand what Peter was called to. Caesarea was given by Augustus Caesar to Herod the Great, 30 B.C., And Herod the Great made this a Gentile city, but the most beautiful city. He built amphitheaters. He built a palace for the king. He built an aqueduct to bring water in. He built racetracks. And so it was a Gentile city. Now think of this. This is a a predetermined transition. When God wanted to teach Israel that the Gentiles were going to be in the church on evil stand, where did he, where's he going to send Peter? He's going to send him to Caesarea. Caesarea was named after Caesar. And uh, there were 3,000 Roman soldiers stationed in, in this city. And so it, it says here in verse 1, there was a man of Caesarea called Cornelius. Not just any man. He was a Gentile. He was not only a Gentile, but he was a He was an Italian. He was stationed in Caesarea. He lived in the barracks, the last place where they ever expected to find a Christian. And so they had marked off everything in Caesarea. It is a secular city. But but it was a far contrast from where Peter was. Peter was in Joppa, 30 miles south. This is a city that Jonah had fled to because he didn't want to go to Nineveh, that Gentile city. Isn't it interesting that from Joppa, God called Peter to go to Caesarea, a Gentile city, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
You know, in the heart and mind of Peter, I, I'm sure he's saying, not so, Lord. How could this ever be? I've never done this before. It, it is not proper for me being a Jew to even spend time in Gentile presence. I'll have to confess it when I get back to Jerusalem. No. Cornelius was not just any man. He was a soldier. He was a Gentile. The scripture says that, number one, he was a, he was a foreigner. But he was a family man. He was a devout man. He was, a, he was one that feared God with all of his house. He was not only concerned about himself, but about his whole family. He was a man of, uh, there was a frugal with his finances. He gave alms to much people. He prayed always. In other words, he was a fervent person. But here you have this Gentile soldier, this model soldier, who was a faithful man, a family man, a financially astute man. He was a fervent man. He was a praying man. But his problem was, he was an unsaved man. He believed all the promises of the Old Testament. And uh, so possibly, he had a beginning faith. He had an inquiring faith. He had a sincere faith. But he didn't have a saving faith. In fact, in chapter 11, verse 14, Peter's going to tell you the words whereby all thy house shall be saved. He had everything but a saving faith. You know, maybe you're religious, you're your family proper, you're in a Bible-believing church, you have faith in God, you believe all the scriptures, but the truth of it is, you can be all those things and still not regenerated, still not indwelled by Jesus Christ. You can be 99% right and 100% lost. You can believe in your head and miss it by 12 inches, your heart. There are a lot of religious people in America. We, like you, meet them day after day. So Cornelius was all of this. But the call came, send for Peter. The angel couldn't tell him the answer to his dilemma. The angel had never experienced what Cornelius needed to experience. And so he said, send Peter. Peter is in Joppa. Peter is in the house of Simon the Tanner. The house of the Tanner is by the seaside. You know, the God who numbers all the stars and, and he has, keeps track of all the galaxies knows where Peter is. Even gives his address. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that consoling? That God knows where you are tonight. He knows all about you. He knows what's going to happen this week. And so God calls Peter to himself in a special way and prepares him for this occasion. Because as the sheet is let down and Peter looks at, into that sheet, he says, there's, there's nothing in there for my shopping list. I've never eaten anything like that. That wouldn't be for me. But in God's scenario that's here today, it had to be so plain that Peter, I want you to be the one who not only used the keys of the kingdom on the day of Pentecost to open the door to the Jews. Eight years later, I want you to use the keys of the kingdom, not the church, not heaven, the keys of the kingdom to open the door to the Gentiles to preach the gospel unto Cornelius and unto all of his household. 
So you can read the story how that Peter found his way with six other men to the house of Cornelius. You see, in Roman law, it took seven men, eyewitnesses, and that settled the account in court. So Peter knew that if I had a witness of seven people, what I'm about to do would be legally right. I could take him back to Jerusalem and we could defend the situation. So Peter goes on his way to, with these brethren, something that he had never experienced. William Kelly said, never had there been so important step taken by man on earth. Never one demanding faith so urgently and so evidently as now. Peter is on the spot. But in humility and faith, he responded. You know, it's interesting that God sent three men. The sheep would have down three times. Three times by the seaside, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. And so this third occasion of three times, Peter caught the vision. He, he answered that. So Peter comes into the home of Cornelius. And Cornelius said, you know, we're all here to hear what is commanded thee of God. We're not only here, but we're here to hearken. It is wonderful to have a church full of people who not only want to hear, but who want to hearken. That's a great compliment to Colonial Baptist Church in Cary, North Carolina. We're here to hearken. I want to hear. And so Peter begins his 92nd sermon. So you know I'm coming to the close. Can you imagine only preaching 90 seconds? Well, if you begin reading 35 to verse 43... That's all it took. You just read it through. Maybe that's only his outline. I don't know. But surely Luke gave the sermon. And he reads that sermon and tells about the life of Jesus. How that he went about doing good. He talked about his life. He said that he's the Lord of all the universe. He talked about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And when he came to verse 43, he was kind of climaxed. And and you can read it yourself. He said... To him give all the prophets, he's quoting the Old Testament, to him give all the prophets witness that whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sin. <gasps> and you say, why that? Well, what's the next verse say? Well, Peter was preaching. Interrupted, by the way, the Holy Spirit fell on those that heard the word. The wall that separated the Jew from the Gentile came down. The Gentile who had been aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, without hope, strangers to the promises of God, in a moment when they heard Peter say to him, Jesus Christ, give all the Old Testament prophets witness that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to go through the doors of Judaism. You don't have to be circum- You don't have to do all of these things. Just believe. You don't have to partake of the ceremonial laws. You don't have to partake or even keep the Ten Commandments. Because God never gave them to save Israel. And he didn't give them to save you. Because nobody could keep them. For whosoever should keep the whole law. And yet offend in one point. He's guilty of all. Just believe. Trust Jesus Christ. Because God laid upon Jesus Christ the sins of the whole world. And if you believe in him. He'll give you eternal life. And the greatest transition in the church of Jesus Christ took place in a moment. 
a transition. And you know, again, I say that we pass through transitions in life. All of us are going to face probably a transition this week. Or maybe next week. You're going to meet people who are burdened, who are filled with frustration. You're going to talk about politics. You're going to talk about North Carolina State. You're going to talk about the job. And if you are wise, you're going to wait for that moment of transition when you can say, you know, friend, I understand what you're going through. I'd like to tell you about Jesus Christ. And you take that moment of transition to tell them the greatest story that was ever told. This past week, I was in a restaurant. The lady came up and served us. And I had opportunity to ask her where she was in her spiritual journey of life. As I told her how Jesus loved her, she wiped the tears from her eyes because she had a heart full of anxiety and burden. And it was my privilege to tell her that I knew that God loved her because he sent me into the restaurant so that you could wait on me so I could tell you about Jesus Christ. Those are the greatest transitions in life. That's been our joy for over a half century with the military, a hurting people. I received an email from the senior chaplain in Camp Lejeune this past week. He's on our board of missions to military. Chaplain Brown says, he says, as a senior chaplain, I'm normally not called to assist an officer in delivering a death notification, but I did this past weekend. The widow, very young, with nine-month-old child. Well, it was difficult and always is. I, I was thankful to share the scriptures with her and pray with her about her great loss. The story was repeated a hundred times in the month of June to the widows of Marines and soldiers. It was a bloody month. Already this month, we've lost more than 35 soldiers, nearly 40 in Afghanistan alone. Colonel Newell paced in front of his soldiers. I just picked this off the web this week. Maybe you read it saying to his brigade, it's uncomfortable for me. There's impending return to Fort Bliss. I have little stress over sending a brigade home, he said. The sad truth is that it is safer for me to keep you here in Iraq and drawing combat pay with people trying to kill you than it is for me to take you back home. One by one, Colonel knew ticked off the cases in which one of his unit soldiers had ruined his life at Fort Bliss before the brigade's deployment to Iraq last year. Four suicides, a drug overdose, a murder committed with a baseball bat, a fatal drunken driving offenses, cases of domestic violence, a shooting after an argument in a bar. At least six of the unit's former soldiers are serving 15 years or more in prison for their crimes, and more trials are pending. As a part of the house cleaning, Colonel Newell dismissed more than 150 soldiers from the Army and brought formal disciplinary charges against more than 10% of the brigade. That's 3,500, that's 350 soldiers. 
In, a com- in one company, 39 of the 150 soldiers were court-martialed. During the past year, only one of the unit soldiers died in combat. But in 2008, the last time the brigade was home from Iraq, seven soldiers were killed and six others committed crimes in which at least four civilians and soldiers from outside the brigade died in a little more than a year. This is a group of people, soldiers, that have been fighting and killing and taking casualties for 14 months. You can't switch it on and switch it off. I say to you that our youth, our military is facing a transition that's very, very grave when they're safer in Afghanistan and Iraq than they are in America. You know, the government is spending millions and millions of dollars on programs to help those in post-trauma stress disorder. But their programs are anti-God, anti-Jesus Christ, anti-Bible. And the message of missions to military puts us outside any such funding where we've always been for 50 years. And I appreciate the concern of our president who said this past week, we are going to increase our help to those with post-trauma stress disorder. But I tell you, sadly, they don't know the help that needs. There can be no healing without the great physician. There can be no peace of mind and heart without the Prince of Peace. There can be no hope without the God of hope. And so, As I face transitions this week with missions to military in our different military Christian centers in the United States and France and Ukraine, with Russian and Iranian military, Ukrainian military, as you face transitions out there where you live, let me assure you, just like there's more than you can do than put a yellow ribbon around a tree or a bumper sticker saying, I support my troops. You can pray for us, and we can pray for one another as you face the transition that you're going to have this week, that you'll live redemptively, that you will open your mouth, and you will say, there is another way of life. Let me tell you about it. And if you accept that transition, yes, you'll be a rare Christian, because most Christians never really share their faith in public in Jesus Christ. But I would that you'd live redemptively. And if that's not been your experience, why not drop an anchor? Say, oh God, I know there's a hurting world. And I have the answer in Jesus Christ. And I don't know how, but I know one thing. I want to make my hands and my feet and my lips and my heart available through which you can tell the gospel that changes lives and gives hope to the hopeless. In Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these few moments together. What a delight to sit in an auditorium sitting like this, listening to the hymns of the faith, listening to all the promises that you've given to us in the Bible. You've taken away the fear. You've taken away the despair. Yes, we face challenges. I don't know about the bereavement that would be in this auditorium, the heartaches, 
to loneliness. But Lord Jesus, if we're in thee, all things work together for good to them that love you and to them that are called according to your purpose. And so, Lord Jesus, as our heads are bowed, oh, that our hearts would be open to you like Cornelius. Lord, we're here to, we're here to hearken. We want you to tell us the story. And Lord, might I be a channel through which the story could be heard and carry and rally and wherever you'll send us this week. Oh, might the story of Jesus Christ, his triumph of the cross, and the glorious message of an empty tomb find lodging in new hearts this week. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.